I had this idea to do a three-part series. I had a few different ideas for topics, but I decided to pull you guys and see what you want from me. Now I gave the option of dealing with the ex, your stepkids, marriage, mindset, or dealing with your triggers. Something along those lines. I forget what I said in the poll. Anyway, you guys picked mindset and triggers, which I love because you know me, I'm all about digging deep and taking radical responsibility for your life, even when so many things feel outside of your control. So I did it. I did a series and it is available right now for stepmoms in my membership. Right now, you can join for just $9.99, and for a limited time, members get access to a quick and dirty three-part series to help you feel more in control, to understand and minimize your stepfamily triggers, to get a hold of your reactions, to change your perspective about your stepfamily life. It is really freaking good. Now, this isn't just fluff either. We dive deep, and I walk you through how to get really clear on what's going on for you. Now, if you've ever had a reaction to your stepfamily stress that you're not proud of, or you want to feel more positive, but just can't seem to make that happen, this three-part series is for you. Members, you're going to find it in the library when you log into your account. And if you're not a member, but want access, head to jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership to join. There's no obligations. And if it's not right for you, you can cancel anytime. Hey, it's Jamie Scrimger. When I became a stepmom, I quickly realized that while moms are encouraged to keep it real, there's a big double standard when it comes to stepmoms. So I decided to start the conversation myself. Thriving as a stepmom doesn't just come from conversations about being a stepmom though. Here we dive into marriage, relationships, personal growth, and more. My mission, inspire you to live a kick-ass life while bringing you along as I create my own. This is the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. Okay, guys, so here's what's happened. At the beginning of the year, I decided that one of my intentions for the year was to just like amp things up in the intimacy department of my relationship with Darren. I'm not saying it's bad. We're just busy. We have all these kids and businesses and our eight-year-old is still in the bed. So, you know, that makes things just a little more difficult. So with that intention, I think I unconsciously added more sex experts to the list for outreach for the podcast interviews. So if you feel like we've been talking a lot about sex lately, you are right. We have. I do think this is the last sex-related podcast episode in the lineup, but I can't make any promises. But either way, these conversations are important and they're good. So I am here for it. Now, today's guest is Dr. Kelly Casperson. She's a female physician, urologist, author, mom, and wife. And she wants to reach the large majority of women who feel shame and broken and uneducated about their bodies, specifically their sexuality and their pelvic health. Dr. Kelly uses science and humor and coaching and her experience treating hundreds of women to address these common concerns that come up for like I said, the majority. Now we dive into it all. We talk about confidence in sex, shame related to sex for women, the different ways that women and men are treated differently when they're struggling with sex, why the penis sometimes doesn't work. We talk about sex gummies, the best lube, dildos, porn, and how to talk to your kids about sex. We literally talk about it all. This was probably one of my favorite conversations I've had on the podcast in a really long time. And something tells me that Darren is going to reap the benefits too. All right, let's dive in. I'm going to interrupt this episode really quickly to give you the inside scoop on brands and resources that I'm loving, who also help support the show. As you know, my mindset has really changed around the importance of a healthy lifestyle, and I have been making my health a huge priority. Now, over the last year or so, I have started to integrate some micro habits into my day to help me be healthier, more energetic, and to really change the way that I feel. Now, one of the micro habits that I have integrated is Element. Here's the deal. When you are deficient in electrolytes, it can cause headaches and cramps and fatigue and feelings of weakness. Straight up, it can make you feel like garbage. And having a sufficient amount of electrolytes in your system can regulate your appetite and curb cravings and overall just make you feel much better. 
Everyone needs electrolytes, especially those on low carb diets or practicing intermittent fasting or physically active or sweat a lot. And a lot of the electrolyte drinks have sugar and artificial ingredients and coloring, which is not needed and unhealthy. Now get this, according to the FDA, over 70% of sodium in the typical US diet is consumed from packaged and processed food. Now you do need sodium. So when you adopt a whole food diet and you're eliminating the processed food and all of that crap, you actually eliminate a lot of the sodium from your diet. Now, obviously it's not recommended that you reintroduce the processed food, but not replacing that sodium can negatively impact how you feel, which is where Element comes in. So Element is a tasty electrolyte drink with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means a lot of salt with no sugar. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for anyone following a keto, low carb, or paleo diet. It has none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. I personally have Element every single day, mostly when I'm working out, but also when I'm feeling dehydrated or perhaps had some wine the night before. Now Element is offering a free sample pack with the purchase for my listeners when you order through my link. They have a money back guarantee, so if you don't like it, you can get your money back. And this sample pack allows you to taste the different flavors and just figure out what your favorite is. Personally, mine is watermelon and raspberry is a close second. So just head to www.drinkelement.com forward slash kickass stepmom. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash kickass stepmom to place your order and get your free sample pack. That's www.drinklmnt.com forward slash kickass stepmom. I want to tell you about something I'm doing for 2023. I'm going through my closet and getting rid of anything that does not represent my best self. If the best version of myself, the one that I dream about becoming wouldn't wear it, or it doesn't make me feel confident and good. It is going in the donate pile or I'm selling it. That includes my loungewear. I am no longer into comfy clothes that make me feel like a slob kebab. I want to look cute. I want to look put together, even when I'm just chilling. So I have gone through my loungewear and purged. You want to know what's left? My Cozy Earth. I am not kidding when I tell you that Cozy Earth loungewear is next level. It washes perfectly, it fits well, and the quality is amazing. The breathable four-way stretch bamboo viscose fabric is temperature regulating and the most comfortable ever. If I were you, I would order the bamboo joggers and the ultra soft bamboo pullover crew. It's probably no surprise, I have it in black. I also have the ultra soft wide leg pullover pants and I'm obsessed. Also, if you wanna up your PJ game, the loungewear bamboo PJs are also unreal. All you have to do is head to CozyEarth.com and use the code COZYJAMIE40 for 40% off your order. Yes, 40%, that's the biggest discount that they offer. Head to CozyEarth.com and use the code COZYJAMIE40 for 40% off. So I don't even know where to start, but I figure the best place is, is your slogan that's all over your website. It's like to stop shooting all over your sex life. I love it. And I want to dive in. Isn't it fun to say? <laughs> yeah. Cause it really does sound like shitting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. It's like, <laughs> makes people pay attention. Yeah. I love it. But I think we should all the time and we don't catch ourselves that that's actually what we're doing. Right. And then when you reframe like that, you're just beating yourself up over stuff we never got any education about in the first place. You're like, maybe I could be a little more kind and like curious about this. Mm-hmm, for sure. So what kind of shoulds do you think that people are putting on themselves when it comes to their sex life and how it's supposed to be, how they're supposed to feel, all the things? Oh, so many. You're supposed to have sex a certain number of times a week or month. You're supposed to look a certain way. You're not supposed to make certain sounds. You're supposed to always orgasm. You're supposed to put up with the pain. You're supposed to always want spontaneous desire all the time mm-hmm. for the same partner that you know in and out for like a long time. Oh, the penis should always work. You know, just like all these like really strict body and brain expectations. And a lot of it stems from like, we're all expected to be experts with no education on this. Mm -hmm. Like if we were lucky, we got like a somewhat disease and pregnancy prevention plan, like before we got turned into adults, right? 
And then like, where do we get our info from? Like crappy magazines, porn, Hollywood, music, and X, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's really bad information. And then we just try to make it up. And mostly we're just beating ourselves up and like complaining about our partners. But it doesn't have to be that way. I know. And I think a lot of women feel shame that they don't want it all the time. Like I was just out for dinner with girls last night. And well, first of all, funny story. My husband, we were like joking around on New Year's about what his New Year's resolution was and the number of times that he thought we should have sex in a year. And he was joking. I was like, oh, that sounds attainable. But then I did the math and I'm like, that's not attainable at all. So as a joke, I had a note section in my phone and I was saying like, Darren's New Year's resolution. And then I would put like the number we were at, like we were just kind of joking around about it. And I'd screenshot it to my girlfriends and they're like, oh my gosh, there's no way you could do that. And it's been like a few weeks later. And I said, we were out and I was like, just so you know, like the number is still the same. (laughs) Like we are not attaining this New Year's resolution. Right. But like, how many times are you supposed to be having sex? And like, are you supposed to want to have sex all the time? Like, I don't know. It's a lot. It's a, well, it's a lot of pressure because the other thing we do is we compare ourselves, right? Like, well, my girlfriend said this and there said that. And like, we're, we always try to like weigh in with how good we're doing compared to other people, which is also not what sex is about. Like sex is not a competition or a comparison, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, once I say these things and people are like, oh yeah, right. Like, why would I be comparing myself to like what my cousin does? You know, it's weird now. Mm-hmm. But we don't know what normal is. So we're just constantly in our brain trying to like check in to be like, is this normal? Is this normal? And the right answer for how much sex you should be having is what is good for the relationship. Mm-hmm. Not what's good for the one who wants it the most. Yeah. You know, maybe not what's good for the one who wants it the least, but what's good for the relationship? Well, yeah. Right? Like what keeps sex in your life? And the other thing that's super interesting about that is like understanding why your partner wants to have sex. This is always so curious. Is like usually one person in the house wants to have sex to feel close and the other person in the house needs to feel close in order to have sex. And they're like living with each other and they don't even know that like that's what's going on. Okay, let's say that again. So one person is stereotype, and you know, we can gender stereotype, but let's say one person wants to have sex because that's how they know they're close to you. Mm. That's how I know I love you. That's how I'm showing my love. That's how I know you picked me over the other 7 billion people is because you have sex with me. So one person has sex to feel close and the other person needs to feel close and connected before I have sex with you. Mm -hmm. That's me. (laughs) Right? That's totally me. And the other one's my husband. And, you know, even going back to the joking around New Year's resolution, he doesn't even want to have sex that much. I know he wouldn't want to have, like, life happens, right? And it's kind of like what you're saying. There's this pressure how much we think we should want to or what you should be doing every single week, but life happens and you're tired and you have stressful days at work. And like, there's been times when he shot me down and there's been times where I'm like, I do not have that in me right now. Yeah. And I think we got to normalize that. Totally. And to normalize, I love you. And tonight's a no. Mm -hmm. And we don't make it mean, like we make things mean so much, right? Like, well, the penis didn't work that night. So like, am I unattractive? Is he cheating? Is he not interested in me? Like we make things mean so much that they don't mean that. Yeah. And same with like, tonight's a no. I still am very attracted to you. I probably want to live with you for the rest of my life. And I hope to continue having a sexual relationship with you. Just tonight's a no, right? Instead of making it mean like, the papers will be filed shortly. Yeah. Like we make it mean all of this stuff and just like take the weight off of the seriousness of all of this. And a lot of it just starts with open communication. Mm-hmm. Right. Why does the penis not work? <laughs> I want, I'm just like, right. I'm, I'm curious. What's this about? Right. Yeah. The penis is just a pump, right? It's a blood flow and pump and it's attached to the brain and like the brain will turn it off with like anxiety and stress. Medications can turn it off. Sometimes it just doesn't work. And it's like, it's okay. Yeah. You can either A, still have sex, not using an erect penis. How would you do that? Mouth and hands and vibrators. Oh, okay. I'm like, (laughs) okay, yes, like what you're saying. Right? But it just goes to show like how many people think of sex as an erect penis going into a vagina, which they call like the very heteronormative, narrowed view of sex. Very true. Which is a devastating view of sex because when the penis is broken or the vagina is broken, you're out of luck. Right. Instead of being like penis and vagina is one way that we can be close and intimate and have pleasure. It's just one way. We've got seven other ways. Mm -hmm. But if you don't figure out those other ways and use them and then like 
hormones or childbirth or a penis that doesn't work, then you've got a big problem. And that's where like the lack of intimacy spreads into the rest of your life, right? Because like, oh, I don't want that problem to like rear up. So let's not sit together on the couch. Let's not hold hands. Let's not cuddle because it might lead to getting embarrassed about the penis not working. But the penis not working or, well, you know, what the doctors call erectile dysfunction is incredibly common. 40% of 40-year-olds, according to the Cleveland Clinic. And that just goes up with age. And that doesn't mean all the time it doesn't work. It just means like, hey, it doesn't work maybe as quick or as hard or as consistent as it did when you were 18 and it just worked in homeroom at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like it didn't really work when you wanted it to then either because it was awkward. <laughs> but yeah, just normalizing it of like your neighbor probably has erectile dysfunction. It's incredibly common. Mm-hmm. But especially what women do is we make it mean things about us. Instead of understanding this is like a biological pump that sometimes just has more trouble as we get older. Mm-hmm. I've never thought about it as a pump, but that's super helpful. Now, how do you, because so say penis isn't working, you're, you know, in the bedroom and you're feeling embarrassed, you're feeling shame, like say you're the woman. How is the best way to respond to this and to support your partner just to avoid that discomfort, right? Because we can say this is normal, but society has said to us like, there's shame around that, right? Like a lot of men feel shame around this. Mm -hmm. So how do you suggest dealing with that? Number one, talk about it. And like talking about uncomfortable things is actually what builds intimacy, right? We were like, let's avoid the discomfort. And it's like, no, that's actually where being comfortable with all this comes from is being able to talk. I saw this thing, I can't remember who to attribute it to, but it's like the strength of our relationships relies in our ability to have uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I kind of like that just being like, hey, you know what? It's no big deal. It's totally cool. Do you want to take a break? Do you want to try something else? Do you want to just focus on me and use the vibrator for a little bit? Basically like not ending the show if you don't want to. Be like, that's cool. Let's just take some pressure off of that for a little bit. Let's go over here and cuddle or do massage or you know, do whatever else. Mm-hmm. And then in a non-sexual way, be like, I think it's so powerful when the woman's like, you know what I'm making that mean? I'm making it mean that you don't love me and you don't find that I'm attractive. Like literally putting out your fears and then they can be like, oh God, no, I was just super stressed because I had this presentation at work and I had an extra beer and sometimes that like makes it not work that well. And that's it. And then she's validated. He is able to hear her fears and like tell her no, because usually it's not for those reasons. But it's like, once you say that, then you're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. No, that's super helpful because I, no one talks about that kind of stuff, right? No. And certainly for men, like their definition of masculinity, it's really wrapped up in that. So it's it's a very, very big deal. Mostly guys will go to the doctor because the spouse is like, I think you need to see a doctor. It can also be a sign of cardiovascular disease, like from a more medical standpoint of like, oh really? the arteries in the penis are one millimeter, in the heart they're three millimeters. So like microvessel disease happens first. And it can be a sign of impending like cardiovascular disease, heart attack risk, stuff like that. So you can be like, you know what? This seems to be happening more than it used to. I've heard that this actually can be a sign of high cholesterol or high blood pressure or heart disease. Let's make an appointment for the doctor. I know I've saved one person's life. They came and told me that they heard me address the erectile dysfunction, ended up getting like some heart work done because of it. Oh, wow. So it could save lives. Yeah, you're saving lives. Wow. Saving lives. One broken penis at a time. One penis at a time. Yeah. Now you were talking on your Instagram about the difference between how, you know, doctors or experts can respond to a man dealing with, you know, the penis isn't working or they're having their issues versus a female who comes in who's experiencing maybe painful sex or, you know, they're dry or they're feeling like something's wrong. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. It's cool because there's more and more data coming out about gender disparities in medicine and how women deal with pain for longer. They deal with their symptoms for longer before they're addressed than if you were a man. There's fascinating data, not to go completely on a tangent. There is data that just came out that if you're a female and you're operated on by a male surgeon, your mortality is higher than if you're operated on by a female surgeon. Wow. There's some interesting stuff happening with like gender bias. So I digress, but a lot of women, like they just get blown off. It's like not legitimate. You know, if a guy came in and he's like, you know, my penis isn't working as much anymore. By average, they're not going to be told like, well, honey, you know, that just happens sometimes. And like, maybe you have a glass of wine and like, you're just getting older. Mm -hmm. Like we don't tell guys that. We're like, all right, well, 
stop smoking. Let's review your meds. Are you exercising? Let's check your cholesterol. And do you want to try some Viagra to start with? Mm -hmm. We believe them. Right. Right. We also really care about a man's quality of life. So penis drugs, like there's surgeries, right, for really bad erectile dysfunction. That's covered by a lot of insurances and like hormone, laser therapies, a lot of stuff for female sexual function and just hormones aren't covered very well. So certainly there's gender disparities in healthcare. Yeah, for sure. And do you think that stems from just, you know, how much a man is valued versus female and, you know, no one really cares about the female orgasm. It was really about just like the, you know what I mean? Like just in history, how, how men and women have been viewed. You know, even a woman who is really into like pleasure and sex and all of that, like she was deemed as a slut or she was deemed as being loose and like all of those things. Like, is that stemming from all of this? Yeah, totally. Like you're darned if you desire sex too much, but then you're broken if you don't desire it enough. Mm -hmm. Right? Like you're, we're literally in a pickle. You can't win on this one. The other thing about the female orgasm is it's kind of been viewed as this like accessory bonus level points, right? Because you don't need a female orgasm to get pregnant and to create a baby, right? They used to think you did, but now we know you don't. But you do have to have a male orgasm because you got to get sperm out. And so it was kind of like medically, like not that important, whereas like the male ejaculation was because you have to do that to have a baby. And so there's certainly like sex viewed as a procreative activity instead of like for pleasure and connection and love and to strengthen a bond, like all the other things that people do sex for, because on average, the average Americans having 1.7 babies. <laughs> so you had sex 1.7 times if you're just having sex for babies. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the female orgasm gets blown off and it's like, I would argue that like her interest in having sex is actually quite important. Absolutely. And, and what we did is like we created Viagra Oh, late 90s now, 1997 is when it came out in America. And then we didn't do anything to help the women who like now had erect penises at home who like wanted more sex, <laughs> right? It's like, how fair is that to like bring an erect penis home and not help the person who like has to deal with that? Yeah. So if you have a woman who is feeling like painful sex or is like extremely dry how do you help with that type of situation? Like, what's the solution there? First, we normalize pain is never normal. Unless there's that subset of sex where like you like pain and that's fun and that's enjoyable. That's a different conversation. But pain in general is not normal. And, you know, I think the stereotype of like just drink a glass of wine, it's still out there. Like I still hear people say that that's what their doctors say. And wine is a muscle relaxer. Is that just to loosen up? Like, yeah, like so you don't care about the pain? I don't know. Like, I want to say it's good intentions, but it's super cringy. So normalizing lube of like lube, 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 lube increases orgasms for all genders. The clitoris and the penis are not self-lubricating organs, right? And let's not rely on the vagina to do the job for all the other organs. It's a lot of pressure on the female again, <laughs> right? I don't know. Guys can offer up the lube. No, I know. But it's like, you know, the vagina is supposed to like provide all this moisture oh, yeah, yeah, for yeah. everyone. It's totally. like freaking women just have to do it all. <laughs> I know. So like get your lube of choice, lube, lube. I, you know, I'll see like 22 year olds in my office and they're like, my boyfriend told me I shouldn't need to use lube. And I'm like, can we stop taking our sexual advice from these men who don't have any more education than us? Mm -hmm. They come into my office for pain. Right. And so I'm like, what lube are you using? And they're like, oh, my boyfriend told me not to use lube. And I'm like, you need, especially a lot of people start sex by putting an erect penis in a vagina. And I would argue that the penis got erect, the pelvis needs to get erect in the female. We need blood flow. We have erectile tissue. And when the pelvis is actually erect and prepped for, oh, something sexy is going to happen, our vagina will lengthen and tip back. And then the vulva will open up to accommodate. But if you just take your pelvis and you're like, well, he wants to have sex, so let's just put something in my vagina, your brain's like, I don't know, is this a tampon? Like, what's happening? I'm not, pre no, nobody's told me sexy time is about to happen because you haven't worked on your arousal. So I'd say lube and arousal. Don't penetrate before you're aroused and you actually want it, right? Put something in your vagina when you're ready, not when the other person's ready. Those are my simple fixes. So lube and properly aroused. If you're still having pain with sex, it can be a muscle problem. It can be a vulvar problem. That's when you step it up to start seeing somebody. Physical therapists, pelvic physical therapists are amazing. They're not going to have you do Kegels. Kegels are tightening, 
right? A lot of people with pain with sex have, they're too tight. So we don't want to do Kegels. We want to do the opposite. We want to relax. Mm -hmm. So there certainly is a lot of help, but people put up with pain and then they beat themselves up for not having desire. So they'll come to me and they'll be like, I have pain and I have no desire. And I'm like, no, no, you have pain. Because you never desire hitting your thumb with a hammer, yeah, right? Like we don't desire painful things. You have one problem, let's not give you two problems. Mm-hmm. Now I'd love to dive into your thoughts on, because there's lots of limiting beliefs around sex. And the one was, it's my partner's job to give me pleasure. Yeah. Can you unpack that for me? Well, I think that's a lot where a lot of like fake orgasms come from too, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, he thinks I should have an orgasm this way. Maybe I should. Let's just fake it, right? Or like he can't give me an orgasm. Like we're like this passive canvas that just needs to be painted on, (laughs) right? It's like you are an active participant in your sex life. If it's not going well, like change positions, get more lube, talk to the person, try something new, take a break, come back tomorrow when you're better rested. I think people are like, I've got to get it right all the time. And it's like, no, no, it's okay. Barry McCarthy, I think, came out. He's a sex therapist and he comes up with this like good enough sex. Couples should have good enough sex. Get rid of perfection all the time. It's too stressful. Mm-hmm. Like, good enough sex. Sometimes the penis doesn't work. Sometimes you didn't get all that turned on. Okay. That was good enough. We just beat ourselves up too much because we're like, needs to be perfect. I need to do it right. It needs to work every single time. It's like, eh, how about good enough? Mm-hmm. You know, and do you think that there is still like shame around masturbation and like pleasuring yourself. Oh yeah. For females. How do we normalize that conversation? Because here's the thing, like no one talks about masturbation. Like I even remember not even knowing this was like a thing until I was in, I was out of university. I just think it's so crazy, right? Like no one talks about it. Yeah. Nobody talks about it. And I think, you know, to tie it in with people who are like, I just feel numb down there of like really connecting with your body. Yeah. By yourself, so you know your body. Then you're like, okay, my vulva likes this kind of pressure. I love this kind of vibration. I need this much lube. Just really getting in touch. Like, this is what me being very turned on feels like, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that is very good information to have before you bring in another person, let alone another person who might not have the same sort of genitals that you have. If you don't know how it works, they definitely don't know how it works. Yeah, like you can't tell them what you like unless you know. Yeah, so I mean, I would argue for masturbation for several reasons, I guess. Number one, it's pleasurable. Your body was created with this amazing ability to experience pleasure. Like, awesome, go for it. And then number two is education and knowledge of like, you're going to be all the better to commute. Like, what do you like? I don't know. You can know. (laughs) You're carrying it around 24-7. Yeah. Go for it. But we're so disconnected. You know, our society tells us it's bad, it's shameful. Again, it's that person who wants sex too much. They're the only people who masturbate. There's just so many shoulds around masturbation too. I personally find masturbation and like having sex two different things. Yeah. I know there's conversations where, you know, maybe they find out their partner's masturbate. They're like, well, why don't you just come come get me? Or like almost like I'm not meeting your needs so that you've gone and like jerked off. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like- Yep. I honestly think they're two different things. I think it's obviously an issue if they're like jerking off all the time and never want to have sex with you. But, Mm -hmm. you know, on the flip side, it's a different kind of release in my mind. Yeah. And I think, you know, another way to look at it, like I think is exactly what you're saying is like sex between two people, you might be doing it for different reasons than sex with one person, right? Like I just need some stress relief or this helps me sleep or like it feels really great versus like I want to connect with you like on a level that's not just us managing the children, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like I want to connect in you in a way that like is super special because I don't connect this way with anybody else. Yeah, it's like intimacy. Right, and so like you're right. It's like sex can be used for so many different reasons and that's where we get confused of like, well, once you're married, all your orgasms have to be with that person. Like that wasn't in, no, that's not a rule. No. And the other myth that goes along with that is like, I only have two orgasms a week, so they got to all be with you. It's like, they're actually unlimited if you want them to be. <laughs> like, you don't have to, like, save them up for Friday. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. The other day, someone asked me when I think it's a good time to start therapy. And I was like, now. It is always a good time to start therapy. Even when I don't think that there's anything to talk about, I will go into my session and realize that there's always room for growth. There's always something going on. And this isn't just for those who are struggling or who have experienced a major trauma. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. 
strategies, habits, and narratives that have worked for us in the past often need an upgrade. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do or what's actually triggering us until we talk things through. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. There have been so many times when I've been talking to a therapist and she says something and I'm like, oh my God, I have never thought about this situation that way. And it changed the way I perceive my stressor in life and the way that I react to it. Just last month, I was talking to my therapist about some stuff that has come up in my marriage. And she said something that made me stop in my tracks and be like, wow, okay, yes. It changed everything. Having this expert third party to see your situation from an expert's perspective is game changing. It's helped me to set boundaries, understand my triggers, and get better coping skills for when life gets tough. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you know what? If it's not a fit, you can switch your therapist anytime for no additional charge, which is super important because you need to mesh with your therapist. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash stepmom today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash stepmom. Now, when should we be talking to our kids about masturbation? Or should we be talking to our kids about like self-pleasure and that kind of stuff? Because again, I'm saying like, no one ever talked to me about any of this stuff. And there were so many things I didn't know. Yeah. And you know, I'm very open with my daughter and like love to have like conversations about just anything age appropriate. I want her to always feel safe coming to me and that kind of stuff. But I know that's not true for a lot of parents. Mm-hmm. So how do we navigate this as parents? I think the first step young is just using medically accurate body part names. Like this is a vulva, this is a scrotum, this is a penis. You know, you pee through your urethra because studies have shown like kids who have the words can number one for the scary stuff, be able to tell adults when something bad's happening because they know the words mm-hmm. or they can say if something like I have an infection or, or they might not know that, but they can say my vulva hurts, my vulva itches. Mm-hmm. That's way more specific than, you know, down there or all the nicknames. So medically accurate names. And then some kids will figure out that body parts can give you pleasure really young. Mm-hmm. Like toddler, four-year-old, six-year-old, they'll find that out. And then, you know, if you were to see your child doing that, you can take the opportunity to not shame. Like take a breath, take a step, because our impulse is to be like, you shouldn't do that because that's how we got trained. Mm-hmm. But it's like, that's for us in the privacy of our bedrooms when we're alone. We don't do that out in the living room. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It's like, that feels good, doesn't it? <laughs> but let's do that in your bedroom. Yeah, that body part is there for it to feel good. Instead of saying, no, you can't touch yourself. Like how many girls know that they're not supposed to touch themselves down there? Mm-hmm. So just like reframing of like, you're allowed to touch your own body. It's safe and it's okay. Yeah. And then like, you know, to the teenage years for sure is masturbation. Masturbation and the whole like, you should be your own sexual partner first. Mm-hmm. So that can be very empowering. Should you be saying that to your your teenage daughters? Mm-hmm. So I feel like the sons kind of figure it out pretty quick. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and males tend to have nocturnal emissions, right? So there is like a very physical example of what their body does with orgasm and women don't always tend to have that. But yeah, as far as like when you bring in other people is like for you to know your own body first and the consent part, the consent is stuff our generations never got of like, you have sex because you want to, and you feel safe and it's a connection and it's for the right reason. And ideally it's sober you know, like all these consent things, the more we do it and be in the light about it, the less we hope they're going to go like be under the influence in a party, in a basement, shamefully trying to figure it out because it feels good. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked to all these adults and it's like no adult is ever like, I wish my mom wasn't more open about sex. By the time they're adults, the adults are like, my mom was super open about sex. And I'm like, I'm so glad it just made it so less stressful. Mm-hmm. So even if they're not really listening, by the time they're adults, they're thanking you. Yeah. And even if they think you're being ridiculous, like it's embarrassing or something, they're like, oh my gosh, like I can't handle this conversation. They'll be grateful for it down the road. Yeah. And I mean, the other reason to do it is like if parents don't take on that role, 
kids still need a sex education, right? And then the education they get is going to be crappier because it's going to be movies, porn, their friends, their peers. Every single one of those is worse than a parent who's loving and compassionate and wants the best and education and empowerment, like all the good things that you get from an adult who cares. Yeah. And one thing I found really interesting when I was going through your website is a conversation about how kids aren't they're not understanding the link between puberty and sex and what that means. Right. One of my stepkids, I remember having a conversation with them in the kitchen and we were talking about puberty and like all these things. And I don't know what they said, but it dawned on me when they left that they didn't understand that like a girl getting her period means she can now get pregnant. Yeah. I know a lot of us parents are relying on the school to be having these like sex education conversations. First of all, kids aren't listening. Mm -hmm. They're uncomfortable. They're in front of their peers. They're embarrassed. And the teachers are embarrassed too. And somehow this is getting missed. Like this is a missing link. Well, absolutely. And there's the current stats are 17 states are required by law to be medically accurate. So like we're not even halfway legally required to be medically accurate in the state mandated sex ed. But I think it's like Nine now mandate consent, which in the 90s when I grew up, nobody mandated consent. And then pleasure is even lower because like, again, going back to like, we actually have 1.7 kids per female in this country. Like most people have sex because it feels good and kids aren't even told that. And then they figure out like, whoa, this feels good. Yeah. You know? And so like, tell them the truth. Yeah. But, you know, I think the people's fear is like, well, if we tell them it feels good, they're just going to be unhinged and have all this sex. And that's not what the studies show. Like Europe does great sex ed compared to America and they have less teenage pregnancy, less STDs, you know, more monogamous, more partnered sexual activity. They're just kicking our butts because they're talking about it more. Yeah. And I think a lot of parents feel like they don't want to talk about it because they don't want their kids having underage sex or like having sex before they're a certain age. And I can speak for myself, like you're, they're going to do it if they're going to do it, right? Like they're either going to do it with you knowing about it, or they're going to do it behind your back and not have the education. And I think you want the first in my mind. I think we want thoughtful kids, you know, like I, I have a friend who's has teenage kids and he asked him like recently, he told me this, he's like, I asked him, how do you know when you're ready to have sex? Like, how will you know you're ready? Mm -hmm. And like, then his kids actually got to think about that in like preparation for like, this is when I'm not ready, right? This is when I'm ready. And it's like, how amazing of a gift to be able to have your kid think about that with you there to guide them. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a lot like drugs, right? Like if we educate people about drugs, does that mean they're just going to go do a bunch of drugs? No. No, that actually shows you how backwards that whole mentality really is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My head is just like spinning right now. I think just even having that open and honest conversation with your kids from the beginning, right? So if you're having those age appropriate conversations from when they're, you know, super young, it just flows naturally, right? Yeah. I even think about, you know, periods and like puberty, like I'm very open with my daughter and she's just like very open too. She's like walks up to my husband the other day. She's like, yeah, you know what? In a few years, I'm going to get my period. And Darren's like, yeah, she's eight, right? She's just like, he's like, yeah, honey, that's great. Like, what made you think of that? She's like, oh, I've been just thinking about it lately. Or she comes downstairs and my stepkids are not as open as we are. They're just kind of raised a little bit differently. And she came down the stairs and my stepdaughter just had cramps. And she goes to her brother. She's like, yeah, Maddie's not coming to dinner. Um, she's got cramps from her period. <laughs> It's like so funny, right? But yeah, like I love so that normalized. she's just like talking about things like they're totally normal. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful. I think we've had this education through podcasts like these and people are normalizing these conversations because otherwise there would be just this, the awkwardness in our house, right? And yeah, I'm glad we don't have it. Yeah. I saw this patient. She was in her 80s and she said, I'd never touched myself down there. I've never looked down there. She said, I got my period on Christmas day as a kid and she was young. She was like 10 or 12 or something. She comes down on Christmas day bleeding and her mom says, oh, you got the shame. If you ever get pregnant, I'll kick you out of this house. You got the shame? The shame, the shame of you now have the periods. And it stuck with this person her whole life. She's now 80, right? And it's like, again, kids don't associate periods with pregnancy. 
So basically she was just told by her mom she's going to get kicked out of the house if something happens, but she doesn't even know how that can happen, right? And it's like just a heartbreaking example of it going so poorly mm-hmm. when we aren't thoughtful and we're shame-based to what we do to children. Yeah, and she probably, well, obviously she carried that with her through her whole life. And, you know, that even makes me think about, you know, we were just talking about the double standard, right? Like, you know, you want a woman who wants sex and loves sex and says yes all the time, but if they like sex too much, then they're, you know, considered a floozy or like whatever it is, right? Like just kind of like the messaging that society gives us. And I've been thinking a lot lately how those messages that we receive when we're younger, right? Like say you're in high school and people are she's the slut or she's this or she's that, Mm -hmm. how that comes into the bedroom, even in our monogamous relationships and our marriages down the road, right? Just those messages about letting loose and taking that pressure off and untelling those stories, right? And those labels that we're fearful of. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And then you get all these women who are like, I just can't relax. And you're like, no kidding, you can't relax. Like, look what sex is for women in this country. Like, it's a disaster. Let's not take relaxing and having an orgasm for granted. It's actually very, very challenging for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, let alone if they're having performance-based sex, right? If their partner's like forcing them to have an orgasm or pressuring them to have an orgasm, which is happening now, right? And it's like, we've turned sex into a performance. We've turned it into like eight fruits and vegetables and 30 minutes of cardiovascular exercise and sex three times a week. Like we've put it in our to-do list. We've just totally messed up this like amazing thing, which actually functions better when we're relaxed and accepting and not performance-based and not perfectionist-based. Have some fun. See how it goes. Learn some stuff. Try it again. Mm -hmm. It's okay. What's your advice for women who are in their head with those stories of shame or just those old narratives and they just feel like you can't relax. If you're literally sitting there being like, well, if I go all in on this, then what are they going to think of me or, you know, or whatever. Totally. Well, for the first thing I think, and a lot of people don't ever do this, is realizing your thoughts are just made up, right? And like, you didn't even put them there. Society put them there a lot. So like literally journaling, like this is what I think about sex, especially for these low desire people, right? Low desire people like get out a blank piece of paper and be like, this is what I think about sex. It should be easy. I should have desire all the time. I should just be turned on all the time. I should look a certain way. I should only want it enough, whatever enough is. And you just look at all that bullshit that you're putting down on the paper. And then you're like, nobody who has all these thoughts would ever want sex a lot. Right. And just so like do a thought download and like look at the dump that's in there of like, oh, well, if that's how I think about sex, if you think it's dirty, if you think, you know, my husband wants it too much and that means something about him, you know, it's like all these judgments, but until you see them as like optional thoughts, you don't have a hope in like unraveling that. What do you wish sex would be? I wish it would be like connection and relaxed and like it takes its time. Maybe it's not rushed. So I'm not rushed to have an orgasm. Like rushing to have an orgasm makes orgasms like flee the room. doesn't work. <laughs> like a lot of people, they have trouble shutting off their brains right? So like their brains are like, tomorrow I got to do this. And yesterday I said this at work and was that the right thing to do? So a lot of people whose brains go, 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 two thoughts is number one, you're just in a very cortisol sympathetic nervous system state and regulating the nervous system of like sometimes yoga, sometimes a bath, sometimes a walk, sometimes journaling, just like to calm the nervous system down because our parasympathetic nervous system, which is like the accepting and relaxing and not stressed one is much better for sex because you're relaxed. So like transitioning into that for me, like yoga, you let me do yoga for 20 minutes and then I'm like, let's do this. Mm -hmm. But like I had to learn that, you know, but I can't come home from work, make dinner, put the kids to bed and then be like super ramped up to have sex. Like I'm in the wrong nervous system. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like transitioning. And then number two is mindfulness. So Lori Brado wrote this book. She's a researcher in British Columbia called Better Sex Through Mindfulness. The gist of it is the better you are at seeing your thoughts and letting them go, not attaching to them, letting them go. And you bring that into the bedroom of like, you're in the bedroom, but uh, I got distracted because my cousin's coming into town next week and I have to make the bed. I'm going to let that go. I got to reshift. I'm going to reconnect, get back into sex. So instead of like, oh, they had a thought, I'm just going to take it and everything's over. Like, that was just a thought. Going to let it go. Mm Mm-hmm. And it'll help anything in your relationship to be more mindful. But there is some legitimate, some people like they hang on to those thoughts too much. And then they are literally never in the present moment. Orgasms live in the present moment. You can't be in the past or future and have an orgasm. That is true. 
I never thought about it that way. <laughs> Can we talk about sex gummies? I don't know if you've even talked about this or this is something. What's a sex gummy? Okay. So I was listening to this podcast and we can't get them in here in Canada, but it's like CBD or whatever, but they're like, they're going to enhance your sexual experience. You take them like half an hour before. They're going to empty your wallet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is that true? Like, wh- what are your thoughts on that? No. I hear the podcast and I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to order these, but they can't come to Canada. So I haven't got them. Right. <laughs> Just drive across the border. Officer's like, why are you here? And I'm like, sex gummies. For some gummies. <laughs> I'm here the for the sex gummies, gummies please. I'm here for the sex gummies. Um, there is some research on CBD. There's not a lot of research on CBD. But there's a lot of research on placebo. Oh. And placebo works great to enhance your sex. So I'm going to give you a gummy, and I'm going to tell you that your sex is going to be better. 40% of the time, if nothing was in that gummy besides sugar, your sex would be better. So like, go for it. What about the non-sugar gummies? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like something that tastes good and like is in a flavor that you like. My favorite is like there's a CBD oil lube. The instructions literally are like rub on the clitoris for 30 minutes counterclockwise, or maybe it was clockwise. 30 minutes. Yeah. You're like, that's not the lube. (laughs) (laughs) You do that, you're going to be fine no matter what you're doing. Whatever lube you're, you can use coconut oil. It's fine. But yeah, I mean, I think the supplement industry in America is a $13 billion industry. We prey on people's lack of education in the bedroom. We prey on their self-confidence. We prey on this super new trendy CBD oil that we don't have a lot of data on. And so to me, you know, we just call it expensive urine. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna spend some money, you're gonna pee it out. Maybe you have better sex. Great. But the last thing I want, and you know, this is why I wrote the book and talked so much about desire, is because people think desire is like a product. And then you're like, oh, I got my desire and it's gonna be the same for the rest of my life because I bought it and now I just have it here in my purse. And now I have my desire. And it's like desire comes and goes for so many different reasons. It's not something to just be purchased and hung on to or to like air quote have. Like I just have this desire. It's changing all the time. How stressed are you today? What are your hormones doing? Did you sleep? Is your stomach too full? (laughs) Like everything changes desire, right? But if people think it's something to be purchased, we're giving a ton of money to supplement companies. Mm -hmm. And they're just taking it to the bank. Okay, so I don't need the sex gummies. What I think you should spend money on, you should spend money on high quality sex toys and lube. Okay, what's your favorite sex toy? Non-sponsored, they've paid me $0, the Wee Vibe Melt. I'm writing this down. We Vibe Melt. The We Vibe Melt, it's $150. These are like higher end sex toys. These are not your $20 cheap thing. We want the good orgasms. We don't want the cheap ones. You want the good orgasms. Yeah. This is advanced though. Like this might not be your first sex toy. Okay. Asterix, buyer beware. I don't know when these started coming on the market, but in the grand scheme of the world, new. They're called clitoral air pulsation devices or clitoral suction devices, but they're literally focused on the clitoris. So they don't penetrate. Nothing goes in the vagina. This is great for people who like the vagina is dry or painful or whatever. The clitoris is the organ of pleasure, people, not the vagina. But you put this thing on your clitoris and it's a lot of people don't like it because it's like almost too automatic of an orgasm, which is silly to think about. But like there's nothing better that I've found. (laughs) What's the best lube? I love Uber Lube, which is a silicone-based lube. It's cheap. You can also use it for like triathletes because it helps with chafing. Oh. But yeah, I like longer acting lube. I think water-based lubes are really tacky and sticky, especially if you have dry skin in the vulva or vagina. It gets absorbed really quickly. So I want something that's long-lasting. So I want either a silicone-based lube or I want an oil-based lube. Neither one of those are particularly great for like condoms especially the oil-based lubes. Oil-based lubes are luxurious. It's like a nice massage oil. So those are nice. The one I've used most recently is by a company called Stripes. It's Naomi Watts's new company, specializing in like skincare for perimenopause, menopause, but they have an oil-based lube. I think it's called Oh My Glide. It's a higher end lube, but it's luxurious. It's not cold. It's like warm. It feels good. It feels like a massage oil. You're helping us a lot. I appreciate all this information. This is so good. All right. So tell us about the book. Give us the lowdown. Everyone's going to go buy it now. Yeah. You have to buy this book. I did not used to know this much about sex, but this long story is like I had a patient who changed my life who I was like, I don't know anything about female sex. So I got to learn. So I read all these books and a lot of the books are either like yoni, breathe into your spleen. And I'm like, I don't know how this works. Like this isn't working for the Western woman. Right. And then the other subset of books is like super academic. And it's just like research, 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 dry, dry, dry. And I'm like, I need people to laugh. 
I need people to be empowered. I need people to know that like they're not broken and they can figure it out and it's not the woman's fault. And so I basically wrote the book that I didn't think existed for helping women have better sex. So good. I'm not going to make you call it a yoni if you don't want to. You can call it a medically appropriate body part. <laughs> Are you saying, oh, is a yoni the nickname for a vagina? Yo, oh yeah. Yoni is the Sanskrit word for vagina, which actually has like a much nicer like back, like yoni actually means, I'm going to make it up now, but yoni actually means like giver of life. Like it's actually much nicer than vagina. Vagina is Greek or Latin root for tooth sheath because its role is to sheath the pelvis, which is the sword. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah. I like yoni better. I know. But like, I think, you know, you take the busy Western mom and then you tell her to like do some spleen breaths and like breathe into her yoni. Yeah. Like she can't buy into that right away. You know, like, well, next time I need to get out of my head, I'm going to breathe into my yoni. Yeah. <laughs> Be mindful. Do some splenic massages and get my high end lube <laughs> and get your high end vibrator. You'll be fine. Yeah. And you won't run out of orgasms. No, we don't want to run out. There's yeah. not limited number of orgasms. Yeah. So fun. So good. All right. We will link all of your Instagram handles, your website, all the things, your book. Appreciate you taking the time today. This was so good. I don't normally do podcast interviews on Fridays, but this just ended my week on a, my husband's going to be like pumped this weekend. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone who you think it would resonate with. And if you haven't already, if you could take a couple minutes, head to iTunes and give this podcast a rating and a review. It would mean the world to me. But only if you like the episode though. If you don't, that's cool. Just remember what they say. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Now, if you are a stepmom craving more, I highly recommend joining my membership, the exclusive stepmom community. Members get access to additional podcast episodes, interviews, and coaching sessions, and live Q&As, and just exclusive next-level content and conversation that I don't share anywhere else. Have an issue or a stressor that you'd like my support with? Just bring it to the Ask Jamie section of the forum. I check in throughout the week, and I'm here to help you out. To get more information or to join, head to www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership, and I'll see you in there.